I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome everyone back to They Might Be Mariners, Lookout Landings, Prospects Focused Podcast. I am your host, John Troopin, and I am joined once again by both our lovely co-hosts. We have staff writer at Lookout Landing, Joe Doyle. Joe, how are you on what is still narrowly morning for you guys over there? (laughs) Good morning and happy Friday. Yeah, as a, a day that has never had less meaning, but still should be celebrated. Um, and joining us as well, managing editor of Lookout Landing, Kate Prusser. Kate, how goes it for you? It goes, it goes. I got to be honest with you. I am going to be trying to move things along in this podcast because I'm making my life now revolves around what I'm making for dinner, making and eating, mm-hmm. like planning. Oh, is it Momofuku t- tonight? Tonight is the Momofuku pork night, yes. Uh, I'm very excited. I found some pork butt at the Asian market near my house. Mm-hmm. So last night I showered him with lovingly <laughs> with salt and uh-huh. sugar, just, just crusted it right on there and wrapped him up. And I'm going to go downstairs and put him in the oven um, have my home smell heavenly for a little while. So 
I'm very <laughs> excited. But yeah, I mean, we gotta. Uh, that guy sits in a low oven for a long time, so uh, we gotta we gotta keep the trains moving here today. Certainly. Uh, well, let's let's not dally then. Uh, last week we talked about. Uh, the 2013, 2014, and 2015 drafts as we get prepared for the 2020 uh, MLB draft. Uh, we looked at sort of the, the final years of the Jack Z regime and how they swung big and really whiffed uh, pretty bad, <laughs> unfortunately, um, with with some, some some small successes, but uh, a lot of a lot of players that and a lot of opportunities that were were missed um and very few players remaining in the organization whatsoever from that time some of that's bad drafting some of that is trader jerry uh dealing wheeling and dealing uh today we're going to go into jerry depoto's regime uh so we'll go 2016 through 2019 uh, and we will start with the first draft of that regime, looking at, uh, well, a, a draft that would look a little bit different, obviously, if it were not for a, a very unfortunate uh, injury that derailed the first overall pick, uh, or the 11th overall pick, first pick by the Mariners, uh, Kyle Lewis's career. Um, but... It, in in this draft, obviously Lewis has still very fortunately made it to the big leagues despite the injury. Um, Donnie Walton, Matt Festa, Reggie McLean have all uh, debuted for the Mariners, although McLean is gone. Um, I guess what is, is there someone when when either of you guys look at this draft? Um, is there a pick that sticks out now? This is the one we have sort of the most distance from. Um, that that you you have. I guess you're you're wanting to question question the thought process on or or or, or are, are most think about most when you think of this draft. Um, I think when I take a look at this draft, I think it was pretty well thought out. Honestly, um, I don't have too many concerns. The only thing that I would say is. Selecting Joe Rizzo with that 50th overall pick and and having to pay him so much money uh, to bring him on board, um, that definitely set up a a chain over the next, like you were saying, six or seven picks of the top ten, where you had to underslot guys. You had to draft older college guys. You, you couldn't really reach for that highly projectable um maybe high school pitcher or, or something like that. That being said, I don't think the pick was, you know, out of, out of left field. We still had question marks at third base. We had question marks on the infield as a whole in the organization. So um, it, was, it was a well-thought-out pick in that regard. But, you know, having to select guys like Thomas Burroughs and Matt Festa and um, Nick Zamorelli, we, we like all these players as people – um, but they don't have the high, you know, starting pitcher upside that this draft from 2016 is, is obviously lacking. There's a lot of role players, and I would have liked to have seen the team reach for something with a little bit more, uh, a little bit more ceiling. It's such a, um, it's such an odd pick to me just because um, I was just looking for my list. I have a list somewhere. 
but I was going all through the draft because Joe, you did something about um, where they've taken high schoolers and um, how I think you did like the first ten rounds, and there have been. Did we decide? Yeah, they've five? got. They've got five under Jerry Depoto in the 41 picks that they've had in the first 10 rounds. Okay. And none of them, Carlson and Rizzo, have been the only two that have been in the first uh, five rounds. Yes, I, think. That's, I believe that's correct. I extended that and went all the way out to like 20. I think I went to 24 rounds because um, there was the round where there was the year, I think it was 2017. We're at 24, they took Trey Griffey, and I was like, okay, obviously, like, we're making, <laughs> we're not looking at the 24th pick on very, very serious, or the 24th round on very seriously here if we're making our, um, I call them vanity picks, you know, the, the consideration yeah. picks, whatever, um, which I love the MLB draft. I don't want to see it cut down drastically, but definitely those later rounds when teams are like, so-and-so is the daughter, is the son, the daughter, I would love to see that. Um, so-and-so is the son of the daughter of the first GM of the AAA team. Like, what, you know, it's like, what, what, there are legitimately guys out there who are not going to get drafted, who are very sad right now, sitting at home, not hearing their names called. So that's always been a personal frustration of mine with the draft and, I think a very good argument for cutting it, even though I love like my, I love my 30th rounders. I love my 30 rounder, 30 and up. Uh, I love me some Penn Murphy, some Scott Boches. Like um, you can really dig guys out and, and have them be something in those later rounds. But uh, even if you go all the way back to those late rounds, the number still increases only slightly and really a huge number of that is just this past year they happened to get a lot of because they had gone so college heavy with the pitchers earlier in the round they were able to get a lot of high school guys later on um you know Dutch Landis and Tom Zach I don't know how to say his name I'm sorry Anthony um and Limoncelli and Tyler Driver Tyler Driver yeah so they were heavy towards uh prep arms at least last year but that in itself, you take that out and the numbers are, th that's skewing the numbers. So I'm very, and now we've had a, a few years to see Rizzo. It's such an uncharacteristic pick for the Mariners. It does kind of, you know, address a, a gaping hole in the system, which is everything in the infield that's not first base. Um, but it's, to me, it's very odd that, First of all, they deviated from their draft plan in this way to select a prep. And then that it was Rizzo, who I think is a good player, but you don't look at his skill set. And I mean, this is true even when he was coming out of high school. You don't look at the skill set and you're like, here is an elite tool. Like, here's his carrying tool. Here's what's going to get. Like, he had really solid contact skills and good plate discipline and you're dreaming on the bat, but it just, I want to know who in the draft room was Joe Rizzo's huge supporter, who, who got him, you know, he's not from our side of the country, like, 
I just want to know how that happened. That is that is one thing that I would love to know more about because it seems so out of character to me as a pick. Yeah, with with Rizzo, I think there was probably a little bit of physical projection that, that some people were banking on. It looks like when he was selected, he was 5'10", 195. Um, so he was already kind of built out like he is now. But he hasn't. I mean, he's getting stronger, that's for sure, but he hasn't grown. I mean, he's he's 5'10", 5'11", um, and he kind of is the profile that he was when he was drafted. But yeah, I, you know, Joe is was always going to be either a third baseman or a first baseman. Um, they've played him a lot at second base now, which I think is improving his his you know positional versatility and his value and will ultimately get him um, a shot at the big league level, but... I mean, I I really like Joe Rizzo. I like the player, but I I agree with you, Kate, in that Rizzo, with the fiftieth pick and a five hundred thousand dollar over slot, I just don't think he necessarily ever kind of had that ceiling of of stardom, if you will. And when you're selecting a prep player with the second selection in your draft, thereby, you know forfeiting some options from rounds three through ten you would kind of like to see the team go after a six foot four prep arm or like a Sam Carlson type and I know Carlson isn't the greatest example because he hasn't stayed healthy but there is projection in that profile and um, Joe Rizzo is definitely the type that if the bat isn't there the the role isn't there if that makes sense and I, th- I think he's he's to some degree a victim of what has come after him, which is to say, as we said, he's the only, you know, he is by leaps and bounds the highest uh, prep uh, position player taken. He's the easily most high profile uh, infielder that the that the team has taken. Like, you know, he's I I guess I don't I, I can't entirely confirm this but i believe he's the only infielder the team has gone over slot to sign um and uh i mean that is just a ton of uh, a a ton of pressure which you know is what it is but it but it really highlights sort of where the team has gone and how they have um sort of in a almost you know slightly sneaky way they have really gone top heavy in their first 10 rounds um in terms of getting you know someone like kyle lewis who has absolutely made sense as the pick um but then you know not necessarily uh filling out the back you know the the rounds three through ten with uh high upside kinds of guys and so that's where you have those sort of college, you know, older older college guys who, fortunately, to the Mariners' credit, arguably, and, and certainly to the players' credit, you know, they traded Bryson Brigman and Thomas Burroughs and Brandon Miller and Jason Goldstein and got components of team, you know, the, the teams that they have played at the big league level in the past few years. And Donnie Walton has made the big leagues. Matt Festa has made the big leagues. Like, these are good outcomes generally for post fifth round play, you know, fifth round and beyond players. But it, but it, when taken, 
in in the totality of you're consistently getting that same sort of set of results and it has to it means the guys at the top two picks have to be where you get some sort of impact play it it makes it it puts a lot of pressure and scrutiny on someone like Rizzo yeah you know and I I do want to really emphasize that I like Joe Rizzo as a player I I do I think he's going to be a a good pro I think he's going to get in uh, several years at the big league level because of his bat but that being said, I just think with the second selection in the in the draft, where you're setting yourself up for those future rounds, it's just a tough profile to dream on, and that's that's my only critique of the pick. But Joe Rizzo as a player, I think is going to be a nice choice. Some of the other guys from that 2016 draft that Seattle ended up taking, we always knew they were going to be reliever profiles, and there's no... You know, there's not a lot of projectability in that profile. Brandon Miller would be the one exception that Seattle ended up taking out of the like the fifth round, sixth round. Six foot four, two hundred and ten, low nineties fastball, clean delivery, um, huge track record of small school success. Like that's the kind of guy that I'd like to see the team target moving forward. Someone that has definitive starter upside a clean delivery. They may not have the best stuff in the world, but I'd like to see more, like you were talking earlier, um, Shane Bieber was a fourth round pick. That's, that's how you want him, right? Six yeah. foot four, six foot five, good arsenal of pitches, long track record of success. Mm-hmm. Just not the upside. And then develop, 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 develop. And I think as Kate said, I, that actually leaping towards the 2019 draft, if we saw that, um, somewhat encouragingly like obviously George Kirby that's a top pick but then you know you had Brandon Williamson you had Isaiah Campbell you know three guys who have the frame uh, that looks like this is a starting pitcher you you look at them you say oh you you have three pitches that you kind of you know have a sense of and you're huge okay great and then you have you know Michael Limoncelli and Levi Stout and uh, you know Adam Macko and and those those prep guys who are Okay, we'll we have the time to take to let you work up um, into into being a starter, um, maybe sort of like you know they have with LJ Newsom in a sense, um, and and potentially with you know a little more velocity or or, or what what have you. Um, so in that sense, I think it is um, it is encouraging to see that sort of development. But but I think you're absolutely right in the sense of. When you're prioritize, you know, when when you go big at the top, um, you have to hit <laughs> because otherwise you're going to end up with, at best, a bunch of role players, and you're going to your big league club is going to be wanting for impact uh, potential. Right. I mean, this year in the draft, we are. I think Kate and John and all three of us, we want to see. Seattle go big with either 43 or, or 64. Um, are you, uh, Kate, I'll pose this question to you. Are you at a point where you are willing to sacrifice the other three picks in an effort to, you know, land a Dylan Cruz at 43? Or if Jordan Walker is there, I mean, he might not be there, but if he's there, are, are you willing to sacrifice the rest of the draft to take home a 
a Garrett Mitchell, a Jordan Walker, and then relievers. Is that something? If that Jordan you're Walker to do? is there, I will drive down to T-Mobile Park and um, rob, pull a bank job, and shovel, <laughs> shovel. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you, you'll you will pay I'll, the money. I will you will, start you will the GoFundMe myself. Um, no, I think what you were talking about with Rizzo, because I know you said some of the guys who were taken in the second round in, in that year, right around, have hit big, it was actually a little hard to hear the list of names you read off, which, um, I don't know, in care of our listeners, maybe you shouldn't, but it it's... You can look <laughs> it up yourself. There's there's a, yeah, there's you plenty. Can, you got time. I know you have time. Um, no, Joe, you can, you, can, you can list some of them off. But I just wanted to say, like, it points out that drafting's really hard, and you get one bite at the apple per round, and maybe not even that, if, like, uh, you know, you you sign someone, or, you know, that's, we see that with a lot of, uh, that ends, kind of, because the Mariners haven't really signed big free agents who cost them draft picks, but um, that's it, you get your one bite, and maybe your opponents get more bites, because they get competitive balance, or they get draft pick compensation, or whatever, so... Um, it's, it's just tough. It's, and with the round, with the, with the draft being cut down, now we're hearing it sounds like five rounds, which I think is incredibly disappointing. I'm very sad about it. Um, it just limits, the margin of error has shrunk so much and it makes me incredibly nervous. And I don't know if the better strategy is to be safe or swing big. I do know that I think it's weird that in a draft that was universally um, kind of talked about how it wasn't very good for panned, that was the word I wanted, a draft that was universally panned on college pitching last year, we took so much college pitching, and this year there's tons of college pitching, and it's like I really don't want them to draft a lot of safe college arms again. Yeah. Uh, I think there's definitely a divide there on how you can approach the 2020 draft because, yeah, you can get a big college arm or a big college player at number six, and then with that 43rd pick, like you and I have talked about, uh, it's going to kind of define how the rest of the draft goes. If Seattle falls in love with a prep at 43, um, then they're going to have to make huge sacrifices, 64 78 and I don't even remember the last pick so that's something to keep in mind but you know the alternative to that is let's say you draft a Garrett Mitchell at number six and then with 64 and 78 I mean the team could get a a Bryce Jarvis from Duke and then they could get a uh I could throw out any name uh well maybe a Slade Ciccone at at 43 from Miami and then a Bryce Jarvis at 64. I mean, that's a good draft. That's a really good draft. Those are two college arms that are almost certainly going to get to the big leagues so long as they stay healthy. So they may not have uh, upper rotation upside, but there is peace of mind in a good floor. So, (laughs) but I'm with you at the end of the day. I think there's too many prepsters to dream on in this draft that I would I would hate for Seattle to walk away with none of them. I'll throw one out really quick, and I don't want to you know go down this rabbit hole, but uh, Ben Hernandez is a starting pitcher. He's like six foot five out of I believe he's out of Chicago, Illinois. 
probably has the best changeup in the draft, and he's the type of arm that's going to be available at that 64 mark for maybe 500,000 over slot. Um, so that's just, you know, that's the type of profile that I dream on for the organization, and we'll just, we'll see what direction yeah, Just for reference points for our listeners, the Mariners pick at six. They don't pick again until 43 because of competitive balance. Um, they then get 64 and 78. So they have a couple p- picks bunched up there at the end of like, eh, end of the first round, kind of beginning of the second. They're, that The reason they have two picks bunched up there together is the compensation for, um, they got the competitive, yeah, they got the competitive balance pick from Milwaukee. Yes. So once again, another year where they're going to have an extra pick. And I think it even figures bigger, especially if the round, if the draft is cut to five rounds, that's going to figure even bigger this year, but it also, and w- should increase their draft pool. Um, I haven't seen the adjusted totals for the draft pool, but yeah, it and it's about as Joe was saying, it's a balancing yeah. act. Like, it's not like you can just go out and buy every single person that you like. You have to balance kind of your underslot guys against your. I, I mean, a guy like Jordan Walker, who I love, obviously, but he has a super strong commitment um, to Duke. He is their highest rated. Um, recruit in years, Duke's baseball program isn't like particularly one of the top, top, top. So maybe there's an argument that he can be whisked away from there. But I mean, there's a, the option is for him to go be an absolute stud on that team. And also he's, he's got parents who are like super into school, both highly educated. So all these factors have to be considered. Just the draft is really hard. The draft is really, really hard and it's really hard to do well, but (laughs) They, unfortunately, we really need the Mariners to do well in this particular draft. And, you know, I want to add to that. I want to make sure that listeners understand the degree to which Seattle has an opportunity here, because this this cannot come across as just another draft. The the Mariners have four picks in the top 78 for the first time in 35 years. So if there was ever a year that, like you said, Kate, they can't just go and overspend and get whoever they want. If there was ever a year that they have the capability to spend and get who they want, this is the year. They have like the fourth or fifth biggest bonus pool that they can divvy out in the entire draft. And there's a lot of big names and big opportunity here. I've likened this, I, th- I might have said this on the last podcast, but I've likened this opportunity to 2009 when they had three picks in the top 33. That's monumental as well, but this four picks in the top 78 is even more unprecedented. So a lot rides on this to be And we can't forget that honest. this is a year that the Astros have half, I mean, if it's going to be five rounds, half the number of picks almost that the Mariners have. So it is an Excellent opportunity to get a leg up on some AL West. I mean, I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but I do feel like the outcome of this draft is um, something that will make or break front office executives. Like, this will be a job killer if it goes poorly. And uh, um, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) unfortunately, you never get as rewarded for doing the job you're supposed to do. But um, it's... 
it's definitely, I think, um, we're, we're, it, it's a critical it, point. It very much could be foundational for the, like, next decade of the Mariners. Which, I, I mean, to be fair, and I know I'm sort of skipping 2017 when I say this, but, like, when you, when you review 2018, that was a draft that went really well. I think that that was the... The first time, 2018 looks great, and it's only not even two years removed, so that's encouraging. Mm. I don't love the 2016 draft, even though I think, like, um, they did get Kyle Lewis, and that, I, I cannot ever fault that pick, but the way that the rest of that draft shakes out is, um, it's not bad, but yeah. I'm underwhelmed by the 2016 draft absolutely i i almost think you could look at the 2016 and 2017 drafts um fair you know it, it like there is a sort of progression there um because you know they they obviously got to pick a little bit higher um in in 2016 uh but 2017 they they followed a sort of similar framework they took a college college bat uh with their first pick 17th overall that was evan white um sort of a safe pick not just you know kyle lewis i don't know you'd necessarily call him like the safe pick he wasn't unsafe um but he was like oh yeah he's there you take him but like took a college guy then went way over slot to get a high school player this time and this time a high school player who had Um, fallen pretty seriously right like i was looking back at where carlson was projected like i was looking at old mock drafts from 2017 and a lot of Mm -hmm. analysts had carlson in like the back half of round one i believe there was a at the time at least not that we know the inside of it but the discussion was that he had a very strong commitment to the university of florida um yeah he had huge yeah i've talked to carlson about that and the driving force was his mom who really really Mm. really 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 wanted him to go to college and you know your mom so actually it was kind of a nice thing i mean not that there's anything nice about the time he's been injured but one thing was he was able to go to college and, and get his degree and make his mom happy so kind of a silver lining to the arm injury um so you know the the 2017 draft unfortunately somewhat unfortunately i would say has followed a similar frame to that 2016 setup as a result you know you have evan white who looks excellent um you have sam carlson still could turn it around and and just needs to get out on the field you've got some likely pros uh in wyatt mills um in Seth Elledge, although he's been traded away, um, and some, and David Benuelos also been traded away. Um, and then, you know, a few guys who, who, who fill out sort of the rest of the, uh, you know, the system still, you know, Sam Delaplane, obviously a late success, Colin Cober, another guy who probably could make the bigs and Scott Boches, as you mentioned, I had a timeout real quick on um, Boches. I think Boches, I'm so disappointed that yeah. we didn't get to see a full spring training from Boches because he's done something and mm-hmm. he's up in the upper 90s all of a sudden. He's like, he was throwing 97.99 at, um, at the Arizona. At, yeah, you got Ray Kerr. What's that? 
he 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 raked himself. himself. Well, he did. I mean, I think that that trainer. God, I'm forgetting his name, and I'm so sorry to this man, Mikey Sadler. Mikey Sadler. <laughs> yes, um, he's the strength and conditioning person at Modesto, and the guys just seem to love him. You know, that club had such a. They were all completely like in the weight room all the time. They loved it. They worked for him. Position players, pitchers, the whole nine. I, Modesto was just a model club in so many ways. Arkansas obviously mm. gets all the attention, but Modesto did some great things this year. Anyway, Scott Boches, another example of why the 30th round is an, one to keep an eye on and a reason why the 30th round of the draft is can be exciting. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, and even right behind that, they had Ryan Costello, who was part of a trade to make a deadline acquisition. Uh, it did happen to be Zach Duke, who was yeah, passing a can for the Mariners, but but uh, but ostensibly, uh, you know, Costello. that was a R.I.P. Um, Ryan you know, Costello, who sadly passed away this last yeah. year when he was in New Zealand, I think, uh, going to play in the Australian Baseball League. Yeah, but very yeah. beloved as a teammate. Absolutely. Take a look um, at the uh, take a look at the end of the end of the draft though. Heston Kierstad in the thirty sixth round, <laughs> and yeah. then you Jesse know, that's Franklin. Just good scouting. And then Jesse Franklin in the thirty seventh round. I mean, yeah. Heston is going to be, in my estimate, a top fifteen pick this year, and Jesse Franklin is probably going to go in the first three rounds. So those were good picks. Unfortunately, they were taken so late that. You know, when they're taken that late, what it says to me is these are contingency plans in case we cannot get Sam Carlson to sign on the dotted right. line. Um, in, in case we have, you know, massive amounts of money left over. Um, because if you draft someone that late and you end up drafting or end up signing all of your first 10 rounds, ain't no way you're going to land anybody that's a high schooler that late. Especially with an Arkansas. Sometimes it's also a way to say, like, hey, we like you. Remember us. Yeah. True. (laughs) Yeah, Adley Rutschman. And And we can take Heston at six. No, thank you. No. No, thank you. Uh, So, so... Let's let's move on to 2018 because I think I think that's where we're gonna we're getting into the meat a little bit more here. Um, and Kate, uh, thank you. Well, we we've all talked about it a little bit, but but Kate, give me sort of a rundown on what what to you makes the 2018 draft class so important and and promising um, in in what could be I guess somewhat defining for. The next few years for the Mariners. Yeah, I mean, 2018, they they walked away with a haul in 2018. I mean, somehow they walked out of 2018 with, we know that they like Jared Kelnick and hoped that he would fall to them at 14, which was clearly not happening. Um, but we know that they liked him. We know that they had him in to then Safeco for a workout. Um, we know that they really liked Logan Gilbert and maybe even more Definitely more than the industry like Logan Gilbert. They were just lucky that um, the velo decline had worried enough people that he was still there at 14. But, I mean, Logan Gilbert's college career was excellent. I I think Logan Gilbert was one of the best pitchers available in that draft. So, somehow they walked out of 2018 with their top two first-round targets. It just cost them, you know, Edwin Diaz. 
Um, and apparently Edwin Diaz is slider and everything that made Edwin Diaz, Edwin Diaz. <laughs> which is a rough trade for Edwin. Um, sorry about it. Yeah. And then they took Josh Stores, who at the time was that pick was seen as a as a reach. Uh, it was panned. And well, go ahead. Well, and just just sorry, just on that, like that was a particularly interesting one because we saw it at the time and we thought, oh well, I guess this is probably an underslot signing. And I believe I he, he was ended right up at being slot. over slot. He was yeah, out. He was he was two hundred under. They saved oh, a little bit not of too money. much, oh, okay. but it, okay. but he wasn't like the deal. I think that we all thought he was going right. to be like a screaming deal because he was projected to be a third rounder, um, and he was a mm. college guy and. You know, not, I think, not a hot name for sure. He definitely, the Mariners like to befuddle the announcers at least once every year. In 2017, it had been Wyatt Mills. In 2018, it was Storrs. Um, but I think we're, we're, we're clearly learning, like, we're learning a lesson in all this. And that is that you can't watch the big league MLB draft like you absolutely can the not. NFL draft. It's just different. You know what I mean? And I'm assuming... Um, I have an idea where you're going with Cal Raleigh being the very next pick. You know, clearly Seattle had some sort of a plan here in taking Stowers um, because Raleigh was exactly that. He was 220,000 over slot. So those two balanced each other out. And I think that's going to be really important uh, in June when this draft comes around. When Seattle is on the clock at 43 and there are names that are screaming, take me, take me. Um, if they end up going with someone that is a little bit untraditional or contra- uh, controversial, just sit back, relax, and wait until 64 because it's money that they're going to spend. You just have to wait to see. Yeah, there's what a method to the madness. You not, might not like the method, but hopefully you'll like the madness or the end result. That sounded better in my head. <laughs> Um, so, of course, Josh Stores becomes Shed Long, um, which, I mean, really, I think what the Mariners have done smartly is they've stolen a few targets away from the Yankees. Uh, the Yankees liked Stores. The Yankees wanted Stores to be there when they drafted. Um, and the Mariners just snatched him and then had, like, you know, I mean, if you want a hot trading commodity, have something that the Yankees want because... The Yankees feel like they're entitled to everything that they want. And if you have something that they want, um, they feel like the balance, the great balance of the universe is disrupted. So, you know, that helped us get shed long out of them. Uh, then we have Cal Raleigh, Michael Plasmeyer, who turned into ma- part of Malik Smith and Jake Fraley. Um, Nolan Hoffman, who's been hurt, but is looking good. And then a bunch of, uh, a bunch of other guys including some high upside prep arms in Holden Laws and Damon Cassetta Stubbs, a couple catchers, and um, and a, a little guy I think Joe might know named Joey Gerber. So even though I bashed on selecting relievers, Joey Gerber was <laughs> like Are, on are the you going to make an exception for this one? He listen, whenever you <laughs> listen, Joey Gerber from the offset was a guy that threw ninety-five and had a big league slider and was already going to be an eighth inning guy. Sign me up. Like if 
there were people that thought Joey Gerber had an outside shot of reaching Seattle in 2018. Like, he was that polished, and he's obviously taken his time, but it hasn't been because of, you know, struggling. He's been dominant at every level. It's just a matter of them taking their time. I am a little surprised to see um, what they paid Damon Cassetta Stubbs. Uh, they, I mean, that yeah. was an expensive one. They paid him 200000 over slot. Um, but I guess that's what happens when you draft Matt Sanders in the 10th round and save a hundred and fifteen hundred twenty thousand on that pick so i loved this draft, great draft personally i thought it was a great draft well and to to an extent it's it's sort of a a more refined distillation of that of that same strategy from the previous couple of years right you, you've got they they got their college guy again this is what happens when you when you if you take a reasonably safe pick up at the top you have money to spread around um you know you 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 are able to go um either for one uh sort of prep guy or in this case they spread it for raleigh or rally and uh damon cassetta stubs and and you know several of those slightly higher upside guys that you mentioned um and developmentally thus far it has been really Really fabulous. I mean, even Penn Murphy down in thirty third round, you know, nine hundred and eighty eighth pick. You know, the a guy who has a very good shot of playing in the big leagues. Like, it's it, it, this this draft. I think for the framework for the style of drafting that Seattle has gone through, I, I think this is what you would what you could at most absolutely hope for, right. Yeah, without a doubt, and. You know, even the guys that we're not talking about, the the Nolan Hoffmans and the Jake Anchias and uh, the Keegan McGoverns, like those are names that have kind of the frame and have the track record of where you can you can take them and they still might be able to unlock something. Like McGovern was a great one because he was a senior sign that they saved a bunch of money on, but there were a lot of folks that thought, you know, this guy's going to fly through the system and he's going to become a corner bat and, you know, he's right. a possible big leaguer. And Nolan Hoffman's six foot four, and Anchia owns, like, so many home run records uh, from his school in the conference. So, like, those are the types of profiles that I like to see that, it, you know, if one of them hits, it's a it's a success. And it's, it's essentially, I think you got it well. Like, they didn't go sort of prep heavy in in the in the sense of like young you know high schoolers with upside but it's sort of a total unknown they went with components of upside in their college picks that they were not necessarily either by choice or by just what was available at that point in the draft that was not as consistently present in previous picks Uh, McGovern you know had an oblique injury last year um, that sort of back back injury I thought Keegan Keegan McGovern has a bad back which is troubling because backs are really pesky and like impossible to fix that's true Um, and and so he you know he he has not come along but again it is that sort of like there is the opportunity not just for a bench guy, but like someone who who you could consistently see. You know, the tools are there, um, as opposed to pure, you know, polish. And this person will handle, you know, 
can can handle their position on a minor league field without looking embarrassing and can stand in the box and you know hit 230 or or, or something like that right like there's there's you know some some upside there that you weren't necessarily seeing but here's here's the kicker that we already kind of hit on 10 rounds go by and the only shortstop only second baseman you take is Matt Sanders. Yeah. And Matt Sanders is 23 years old. They paid him 10 grand just to yep. join the organization. Yep. That's even though I love this draft, you got to be able to fit someone dynamic. Like Keegan McGovern is he, he has a big stick, but he's not dynamic and right. Nolan Hoffman is 6'4, 190, like big sweeping reliever. Joey Gerber's the same way, not dynamic. Um Stores was dynamic, but they, they ended up moving him for Shed Long. So what I what I really want to see, even though this draft is only going to be five rounds or ten rounds, six to 11 picks, I, I really want to see the team take someone dynamic up the middle. And if that is Garrett Mitchell, then so be it. But at least he's got the speed. He's got you know the intangibles on the base paths. Um, I want to see someone that can impact the game in more ways than just you know, four pitches. I would say I do think I do agree. Garrett Mitchell is dynamic, but related to what you, you have said is in partially when, when I was looking over um, the preps that they've taken, it is, and this is just true of, of prep prospects in general. It's easier to sign pitchers because they kind of recognize that like a lot of things can go wrong when you're a pitcher. So if you're given guaranteed money right now, a lot of times the smart thing to do is take it. Don't go to college and pitch and get hurt unless you really, really want to bet on yourself. You want that college experience. You really believe that you're going to do better than where you were drafted. Um, But, I mean, it happens all the time. Pitchers fall off. And so do position players, but generally they are a little more expensive to sign. And Rizzo... So we had Rizzo... And then the Mariners have only ever picked two position players in the top 20 rounds. Uh, Lyle Lynn, who... High, high school... Uh, what, what's that? Oh, no. Sorry. Go ahead. Did I not say... Did I say something wrong? Did I not say prep positions? You just said they've only oh, picked yeah, two uh, The Mariners have only picked three high school position players. Uh, Joe Rizzo, who signed... Uh, Lyle Lin from who is now at Arizona State, but was a Taiwanese-born high school catcher from California, who did not sign because he wanted to go to school, um, but was picked fairly early. Uh, well, I mean, fifteenth round, not that early, but um, I sort of thought he was going to make it. And then Miles Christian, who was an eighteenth rounder in twenty seventeen, who went to Middle Tennessee State, which I don't think of as like the most enormous baseball powerhouse. Um, so they have drafted a few position players. They haven't gotten those guys to sign. Yeah. I mean, that, that really is, you know, if you're able to get, if you look at some of the best players in baseball right now, like it's not categorically high school guys, by any stretch, but like several of the top, top, players in the league are guys who teams were able to get in high school were able to develop well um were able to get in the big leagues in their early early 20s and you get those players for 
lengthy stretches of their prime, you in in many of those cases you know, you can get an extension. You you look at like Christian Yelich or or um, obviously Mike Trout certainly um, Mookie Betts. Like the they're there's so much to be gained from getting a guy out of high school um, that that can stick, and the Mariners have done a ton with the college guys they've taken, but but they are they're not they're not really putting their toes in the water, so to speak, in in that other in this whole other market, um, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm fearful that that is limiting them. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think the college players that they generally tend to go after don't have the, you know, for example, like the starting pitcher upside. A lot of times the guys that they take from the college ranks are organization fillers or bullpen guys, which there's a place for. But Mm -hmm. when you don't have any sort of balance, uh, it starts to show over the over the course. Well, John, sorry, John, I know that's something that is concerning to you and that you've talked about before is how top heavy or how heavily slanted the rebuild is towards pitching, especially after last year's draft, um, just because uh, it was all, but it was a fifth. I think it was, it was nine of the 11 picks in the first 10 rounds and 16 of the first 21 picks were pitchers. Yeah. So I know, I know that's not I, your, per, it, it's, um, and it's something we've criticized the Tigers for in their rebuild that it is so, and mm-hmm. why I think the Tigers will take, um, without without a doubt, will take either Austin Martin or Spencer Spencer Torkelson mm-hmm. at the top of this draft. Um, and my feeling mm-hmm. is like, I think they're going to take Torkelson because I think they want they don't have like a masher, you know? They don't have like a, a mm-hmm. they don't have anyone who does what he does, even though you don't draft for need, but. Their their rebuild has just been so heavy to pitching. On the one hand, you have the case that Seattle can trade their pitching that they develop because they've shown a knack for developing pitching, uh, particularly just whipping relievers out of the ether um, who are reasonably capable, and that's great. But Jerry Depoto school for reasonably capable really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. You've got the you know you got the Nolan Hoffman wing. You got the the Sam Delaplane wing. You know, just just kind of pick and pick and choose your 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 major. Um, but the problem, it doesn't have to be a problem, but it it sort of worries me because it, it seems to run a little bit counter. I guess extending the logic of what they're doing seems to run a little bit counter to their ethos of we want to get guys into our development system from the start and work them up through because we think, you know, the the way that, you know, we want guys to buy into the, our mentality. We want guys to be, you know, bought in together, um, you know, with how they moved the whole Arkansas group this past year um, as well, you know, sort of the waves idea. If your idea is also, oh, and we can, you know, whip up pitchers so that we can trade for, you know, things that we need. Obviously, you're going to have to make trades. Obviously, you're going to have to sign free agents. But it runs a little bit at odds with the mentality of like, well, we can trade for a young 
you know, middle infielder if we need to, um, or, oh, well, we can, we can, you know, trade for, trade for, you know, some sort of impact player from our pitching depth. Um, that, that sort of worries me, um, just in, just in the sense of, unless they are going to make those trades, they're going to come up to the big leagues and they're going to have a rotation of homegrown guys, um, who I'm not sure there's, you know, full sort of top line rotation material in there, um, you know, from, from front to back. And if that's not the case, I, I worry about the position player group, um, being, being enough to handle it unless you get stars out of J-Rod and out of, uh, you know, Jared and yeah, exactly. So it puts a lot of pressure. I think there's two trains of thought. You can either go heavy on the pitching and develop a rotation internally to sustain your organization, um, or you can go the position player out. If you look at how the Royals did it and how they won their you know championship, they went super heavy on the position player side. They yeah. crafted an entire organization out of the position players. But um, even though the Indians haven't, won a world series I, you know i think they're an example of how you can do it the other way um, having developed you know kluber and clevenger and bieber and carrasco and oh i can't remember the other one that's there but uh, salazar was there for danny a salazar right yeah. so i mean you can do it you can do it both ways and then in the middle of that i guess on the other side of that probably oh, is the cubs <laughs> and bauer yeah and, and the cubs on the other side of that they did it with position players and the Astros did it with position players, so there is a blueprint for doing it with pitching, but I tend to agree with you. We've seen how it can go terribly wrong if you spend $80 million a year on position players and not $80 million a year on pitching, mm-hmm. um, so that'll be something to watch. I, it's nice to hear that DePoto is acknowledging that dynamic up-the-middle players are where they're going to start putting their emphasis. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, Joe. Do you want to take? I know you. You did a sort of a nice uh, to as to be a podcast recapping another podcast. I know you did a nice uh, sort of cliff notes on the most recent uh, uh, sort of public discussion uh, Jerry did on their their thinking coming into the draft. And who knows how much is GM speak versus honesty? But right. Do you want to do you want to go into a little bit of detail on what yeah. he at least hinted at in that? 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is by no means um, like privied information. This all came from the Wheelhouse podcast from Jerry Depoto, but his synopsis of how they're handling this draft is they are going to target dynamic up the middle players, and that's that's how he quoted it. Now, like John said, I don't know if that's GM speak. I don't know if that means that they have their eyes on someone like, you know, Max Meyer or or something like that to kind of draw eyes away from that type of player, but. He did go on the record by saying he wants, you know, players that can contribute defensively up the middle, things like that. He also went and said they're in a position now with the sixth pick where, or I should say he went on the record saying they're in a position, period, to take bigger risks. And to me, that does say that they have their eyes on potentially going prep at some point in the draft. Um or maybe it means that they're going after players that have, you know, just that profile that isn't there yet. The one that keeps jumping to my mind, and I don't know if it's going to happen, is Casey Martin. Casey Martin at 43, uh, if he's still you, there. Your old boy before he I, had a he, terrible first, first sort yeah, of monthly. I, I did. I had him mocked to Seattle in, I guess it would have been, what, October? I, a long time ago. I had him mocked to Seattle at number six, and he had a tough year. But he's that type of player that has 70-grade speed, 60. Some people think he has 30 home run power, 70-grade power. I don't see that. But he's the type of guy that can, if you put it all together, he can be a 25-25 guy and uh, play good defense up the middle, whether that be at shortstop or at in center field. Um, so I, I think the, the big takeaway from all of this all these semantics that he keeps throwing out is they are looking at position players in some capacity. Uh, so, like I said, we'll see what they do with their first pick. It would uh, it would it would seem that they're you know pointed towards Garrett Mitchell with the way that he described what they're looking for. But again, that could be totally pointed towards later in the draft when they want to overspend a little bit and risk uh, make some risky. And he picks would there. be a risk. I mean, Garrett Mitchell is himself a risk. Like he's a health risk somewhat if you want to look at it that way because of the diabetes. Although uh Amanda, our staff writer Amanda Lane, made a good point the other day where she said um Jordan Morris of the Sounders has type one diabetes and his dad is the teen doctor. Something like that. Um, anyway, so there is somebody literally across the street who's very well-versed in, um, managing diabetes. Not only that, but I mean, there's, there's a long history of athletes managing type one diabetes. Um, there are plenty of examples from all major sports, but also baseball, uh, Sam Fold probably being the, one of the more notable ones. Um, but I mean, I know that that's something that gives some people pause or some, or that has been whispered about. Um, I think the bigger risk with Mitchell is just like, is he ever going to get to that power? But I don't think that, and this I think is true of the draft. We've talked about how it opens up right when the Mariners are picking, there's no real consensus, which is both exciting and kind of scary. Um, but I would say that Mitchell would fit in the, in the risky category, even though I think a lot of people outside would look at it and be like, oh, look, another, another polished collegiate. Mm. Oh yeah. He's definitely, he does not fall under the, 
polished collegiate. I mean, yeah, he's got the four tools that kind of stick out as average or above average, but there's been a lot written about Mitchell having, you know, he's he's obsessed with swing changes and finding and unlocking, you know, new potential in his game. And while I think that can be good, you know, Seattle, Seattle sports fandom, Mariners fans have seen players that tinker with their swing over and over and over to the point that it never it never clicks. But they've so. also seen Mitch Haniger, who's a swing tinkerer. You know, they've seen Evan White make a pretty drastic swing change that has resulted in bigger power. You know, there have been good examples of even even Kyle Seeger is a famous. Yeah, I think, and a lot of it's it, just yeah. a, a lot of it's the old. You know, the Justin Smoke used to tinker with the swing all the time, and Dustin Ackley. For years, every year he looked different coming into spring. And um, Cattell Marte wasn't here very long, but he tinkered with his swing so much. And you just, um, it, it gives you pause, but at the same time, you get a guy like that into this player development staff that had shown the ability to, you know, rework Evan White's swing. And you just, you, it's something to dream on. And I don't think, like, Really quickly, I don't think Garrett Mitchell's floor is what some people are are thinking. Uh, there's a lot of people on Twitter that I'm seeing are attributing Dustin Ackley to to Garrett Mitchell. And the thing about Ackley was he was the best hitter coming out of North Carolina. He had a 60-grade hit tool, and he was tapping into power. But Dustin wasn't a great runner, and, he, you know, he played first base uh, – during his last year at North Carolina. So there were tools that were missing in his game, and when the bat failed, the whole profile failed. That's not the case with Mitchell. I mean, he can come up and hit 260 and still play a, an above-average center field, and um, it might not be the worst thing in the world to take some pressure off of uh, Kellenic when he turns 25 or 26 to move him to left field or to move him to right field when Julio's up too. So... Except at that point, Garrett Mitchell will be what, like 20, Garrett Mitchell is 22 right now, so, and the speed is only going to decrease, but. Decrease, but still, I mean, an outfield of Kelnick and left, Mitchell in center, and Julio in right is, uh, that's pretty fun, so. Mitchell is definitely, would be, I think, I think Mitchell would be the best outfielder of the Three of them. I mean, I like Jared and don't think he's a poor outfielder. Um, and I think, but I think Mitchell can improve and will improve under a pro coaching regimen. He's just got such, his speed is really, um, I mean, it is true, like 70 grade speed. So ideally that can help him. It's just, I've spent the last like week trying to get myself excited about a Garrett Mitchell pick, and it's not <laughs> happening. It's it's tricky. I mean, part of that is like, at number six overall, like, especially with how much we've talked about, like, they've got to nail this. Do you want to take that pick on um, a guy who obviously needs like a ju- like everyone in who watches him says oh yeah this guy has to like change his swing like <laughs> i mean basically cuz on the one hand like the the i i understand the sort of well he has this very high floor because the athleticism is great and because he's 
going to be solid defensively. But, like, I, I mean, th- what they have to decide, I guess, right, is 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 the ceiling that he could achieve if they are able to fix the obvious issues for him uh, great enough that it's worth, you know, passing up on other guys who also have really r- impressive ceilings um, but might take longer. You yeah, know? I mean... That's that's going to be the question for the scouting department. I mean, I did a, I did a, I watched a lot of film on Mitchell over the last couple of days, and I did a little tweet series the other day, and his swing reminds me a lot of Johnny Damon, and the entire profile kind of fits into that Johnny Damon mold where needs better hair, my man. He, he's no, got he, two. He does not have. It's not. The, the yeah, Damon it's not. Make. It's not head and shoulders worthy yet, but <laughs> he might get there. Um, but no, there are there are flaws. I mean, I'll go on the record. There are there are serious flaws with Garrett Mitchell's swing right now. Um, I think in looking at the film, he's identified those. He's trying to stay through the ball, um, but he is bailing out on on high velocity pitches. He his swing against Kumar Rocker looked he looked really timid uh, in the box against Kumar Rocker. He was opening up really early and just trying to let the barrel do the talking and um that's concerning but at the same time he still hit a home run against Kumar Rocker and uh Wait, he, he hit a home run off Rocker to be able to get on base three times I saw him hit a single off Rocker but I did not see the home run He hit a home run that was about oh 250 feet I mean it was straight up in the air and just barely crept over the right field fence. It was like a Carlos. Was that Figaro the one in special. Arizona at Arizona's park <laughs> when they were playing in Arizona? I don't know. I can't remember where it was. But this spring. You mean? Yeah. Yeah, it was this spring. It's in that video. Maybe I'm. Maybe. So I'm yeah, that would have been when else. it was. But in any case, but in any case, um, there are uh, like I'll just acknowledge there are things that need to change in his approach, and hopefully. That is an easy change when it comes to player development, but that is up to Jerry's player development, and it's up to Mitchell, and we'll see what happens with that. But um, I, I don't think it's the job of the scouting department to say whether or not he can develop. That's, you know, like I've said before, that's on the player development staff to make that happen. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, it really is, you know, in reading the piece and in talking with you guys, I mean, we are sort of talking about it like it's, you know, fait accompli, but like, I, I'm I'm still thinking they're, they're going to go another direction there. Um, so just to sort of wrap, you know, I mean, we, we've sort of talked about the 2019 draft throughout this, um, and I don't know that there's a sort of it's hard to draw conclusions on on a draft that was you know this past year um but you know they've they've obviously filled out uh the the minors with a, a significant amount of pitching um and i i guess what i'm most curious about in you guys have talked i think about some guys who would be very interesting um, I know Joe, you mentioned Dylan Cruz. Uh, in in theory, you know, depending on where they go at the top, are there for either of you middle infielders or or just infielders, which obviously isn't really the strength of the twenty twenty draft. Unfortunately, 
are there guys who in the 43 um, or, or pick three, which I, I keep forgetting what specific one it is. I know 43 and I know the 78 and I, I forget the, the one in between there. Um, are there guys 64, 64. Thank you. Are yeah. there, are there middle infielders in there who you guys think, okay, well they can at least start filling in with some, some intriguing upside people that, that, listeners might be able to look out for um or or that we might you know they might be able to find write-ups about soon on the site um uh, <laughs> not not to just you know mid podcast put some put some uh, you know article prep out there but uh, are there are there guys that are that are in that range right now for you uh, for either of you who who are interested oh, just to say i think that we will be doing a series about what um, just because we've covered a lot of like who will be there in the first round so far, um, at least when they're picking, when the Mariners mm-hmm. are picking, I think that we will start to do like maybe broken down by position. I'll look at the best players who might be available for that second round pick. Yeah. So definitely uh, keep an eye out for that on the site. And I'm sure we'll push out some semblance of uh, what a mock draft would look like, whether that be what we want. Seattle to do and then on the other side what we would kind of expect Seattle to do mm-hmm. um, but as far as middle infielders go it's it's a it's not a strong class at the top uh, you obviously have Austin Martin who is going to be well gone before the sixth pick and I wouldn't expect Seattle to go with a middle infielder with the sixth pick anyways you're looking at you know Ed Howard which would I love Ed Howard as a prospect, but I don't think he has the value at six. Um, a couple guys that I would look out for, uh, and Kate, I hope I don't take your guys. Um, on the collegiate side, Anthony Servadeo from Ole Miss is a player that has never hit for power, but this season uh, he was finally starting to tap into, I think he had three or four home runs for Ole Miss Uh this season he had sweet left-handed stroke uh he's actually a defense first middle infielder i think he's probably going to be available to the team at 64 and there's a good chance he's actually going to be available to the team at 78 uh the guy that i really want to see them go after and i've talked to john about this is uh a prep shortstop by the name of colt keith uh yeah. Who is yeah i really like colt keith's profile he's uh out of biloxi mississippi six foot three hundred two hundred pound frame great great bat right now uh huge arm good runner there are definitely some concerns as to whether or not he's going to be able to stick up the middle but he hasn't outgrown the position yet and he does move pretty well for his size at this stage um and he's got the arm that you would think he'd be a third baseman still he can play third base no problem Mm -hmm. the bat the the swing reminds me a little bit you know, John, you made an interesting point that it's kind of a KBO swing where he stays on his back foot the whole time. Mm-hmm. Almost like uh, kind of how Juan Soto, it's nothing like Juan Soto swing. Let me put that right. out there right now. <laughs> but how Juan Soto stays in his, on his, you know, uh, in his legs through the entire yes. swing. It's all leveraged, all loft. It's a little bit like that. It, the bat path reminds me a little bit of Jay Bruce, um, mm-hmm. but it's not, that's not perfect at all either. No, but, but it Cole is Keith, a loft creating. It is. Swing. It is. It's it's a good bat path. So mm-hmm. uh, Cole Keith would be my prep, and then Anthony Servadeo uh, would be would be my collegiate guy. Where those guys go, you might have to take Colt Keith 
at 43 if you're going to keep him financially responsibly slotted. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not a he's probably not a second round 43 value. He's probably a third round guy. If that makes sense. I can go into deeper detail about slot bonuses no, another time. But I mean I think that I think that makes sense. I think it, you know it, particularly in this draft it's going to be really weird just because we don't know i mean unanimously the general managers voted to have it be 10 rounds pretty much anyone you would talk to privately or well probably not publicly because they don't want their boss's boss's boss to be pissed but you know every scouting department person wants this to be at least 10 rounds um but ownership does not um and so you're going to have some teams willing to pay more and some teams not nearly as willing. Um, and right. Kate, I, I, I do want to hear, you know, a, a sug- any suggestions you have, but I, I think there was an interesting thing. Um, I believe it was an Evan Drellich article uh, from the athletic, the other, I guess late last night, early this morning about how certain teams are likely better positioned to maintain their, revenue right now um teams like the mariners and the rays who have really good tv deals um but don't necessarily and don't necessarily make nearly as much money on attendance because their attendance is not great because they haven't been very good and or make it you know whatever reasons um so seattle may actually be even more well set up to still have money that they'll be willing to spend. Um, you know, obviously every team could very easily spend big, but you have to have an ownership group that's willing to do it. And I'm at least a little more optimistic uh, that Seattle might be that way. Um, Kate, is there anyone who who sort of piques your interest um, in, in terms of an infielder uh, that could sort of fill the, the immense gap right now, uh, or, or at least fill in some of that uh, depth? It is there. a rough... It is a rough year for uh, middle infield. Um, obviously, my pet is Jordan Walker, who will probably be yes. gone. But uh, you know, tough, 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 slot, slot tough, tough there, sign. Right? Like, I think, given his strong. So just again, mm-hmm. back up the Brinks truck. Um, if we go collegiate, I think they'll be gone. But there's a a double play tandem at Mississippi State: Justin Foscu and Jordan Westberg. Westberg, I think, is regarded a little more highly than mm. Foscu. At least Westberg is a name I've seen on mock, mock drafts, and I haven't seen Foscu's as mm. much. I'm not even sure I'm saying his name right. Foscu. Fisky. Justin, Justin Fisky. I have no idea. <laughs> um, but, I mean, either of them, and I don't know how much they um, have benefited from playing with each other, but... Um, one of those two would be interesting. Um, you have Alika. Then there are two guys at Arizona State. Similarly, you have Alika Williams and Gage Workman, both of whom I think would be available around that. So if you're looking for like a safer kind of college, like I don't know if either of these guys or any of these guys are gonna like light the world on fire, but I wouldn't be unhappy with any of them. I've watched a fair amount of mm-hmm. Alika Williams and uh, and Gage Workman, obviously because ASU being in the Pac-12 and, Hmm. um, you know, and both the Arizona State guys have a little bit of swag. That team has a little swag. So 
I think that would be like a fun injection into the system. Really, really quick, Kate. I think Workman is that one guy that you take at 43 that legitimately does have star potential. Like he could really blossom into a into a yeah. Big I mean, it, there's tremendous power. I I'm always so suspect about uh, Arizona and what it does to the power. Especially, I always look a little askance at Sun Devil home runs. Except, you know, Hunter Bishop when they were like 500 feet into the desert night. Um, the uh, the prep <laughs> that I like is actually, uh, there's a prospect in the Pirates organization, Cole Tucker, who just made it to the majors this year. Big personality, fantastic yeah. hair. Um, his little brother is not the same personality type, but he is... I think maybe more defensively gifted. He's, his name's Carson, Carson Tucker out of um, Arizona. And he has legitimate defensive skills. The bat is a question, but I would like to see someone like that. You know, I, we were talking earlier before we started recording about Nassim Nunez, who I always really liked. And um, who was the other who in 180? So he's like, but obviously comes from athletic bloodlines. He's got the older brother who's already in major in MLB. Like, I think it would be it'd be fun to take someone like that. But I would not be mad about just a a solid college middle infield slash third baseman. That um, I just I please bring me please. Uh, I like Freddie Zamora. He's 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 broken right and now, the, right? He's, and and the, but. Right, but it, no, it yeah, could no, never you could get less, a, you right? could potentially a get a great he... value on him because of it. Yeah, that's the Miami shortstop. He um he had a character issue though, right? He was violating team rules, something. Yeah, he got in trouble for violating team rules. Sure. I have breaking your ankle. No, is no, I th- team rule. I'm. No. <laughs> No, he did. He did have a suspension um, yeah. to start the year. Sadly, I, f- I feel um, like that's a little. Um, it's just not the the kind of player that they. There are no Seth Romero's on the Mariners. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Sorry, it's mean. I've got one one little last question for you guys, and yeah. I don't know if we're going to go into this uh, on a later pod, but in a year that is so stacked with college pitching where you could get, um, you know, big league upside up through the 60th, 50th, 60th pick. Um, how would you feel about the team chasing position players, uh, instead of taking, you know, from a position of depth, this, this you know, uh, this I wanted draft? to bring this up earlier because it's so weird that last year in a draft that was universally regarded as weak on college pitching, the Mariners went heavy on college pitching this year, it's regarded, and I wonder if they're just, it's a, is it a zig when everyone else zags kind of thing? Like, are they going to go position player heavy this year? I would love that, just to be clear. I just, I'm just curious. Yeah, I would, I would also love it. I mean, if you look at what, like what the Modesto and West Virginia lineups looked like last year. Uh, Modesto at the start of the year was was a little bit stronger, but like the West Virginia lineup outside of Jared and Julio, um, and particularly once Jared moved up, like it was really really tough. And the fact that that team at you know added Austin Shenton mid 
midway through his season. So like, you know, late, you know, he, I believe he started in Everett immediately clobbered it and then moved up to, to West Virginia and was immediately like their second best hitter. Clearly like that, that sort of stretch of the system, um, is really, really thin. And like, you're going to move up some guys like Trent Tinglestad and Cade Marlowe, um, you know, Pat Frick guys, guys who are not incapable hitters, but there's not really, you know, every position is, is available for a more impactful prospect. Um, and I would, there's tons of playing time available essentially. I mean, it, to, to, to put it as bluntly as possible. And I think like I could go through Tacoma, through Arkansas, through Modesto, through West Virginia and have a pretty interesting rotation for each spot. I could probably only do that, you know, for part, you know, I could probably do that for much of Tacoma and much of Arkansas. I don't know that I can do that for Modesto or West Virginia whatsoever in terms of the lineup. So I think they need to stock up on position players, if only just to make it like a more realistic environment for their pitchers. I mean, I I think it's really interesting that Jared Kelnick has only, and I think this is his personality anyway. I don't think he would ever bemoan having been traded, but he has just so thoroughly thrown himself into being a Seattle Mariner, which I love. I appreciate I appreciate you, Jared. Um, he's got a fundraiser going right now. If you go to his Twitter account or his Instagram page, where he is raising money for small businesses through the selling of T-shirts for um, COVID nineteen relief efforts, which is just I mean he's he definitely does the right things. I I like him, um, but you know I think it's like oh Seattle, there is a vacuum here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he can, I, I can, can be, be the, the guy. I can be on billboards. Like, uh, they don't even have a yeah, basketball yeah, yeah, yeah. team. Like, yeah, yeah. Maybe narrow it down even even more granular. Uh, how would you feel if Seattle did take one prepster at forty three, but they went the high school pitcher route instead of going the position player route? I mean, I'm less excited about that, just to be honest, just because I think, like, we've got some high school pitchers. We don't have any high school prep players or uh, position players. So just just because it would be – but it would depend on who the prep was, and I would probably look them up and wind up getting very excited anyway. Like, I just – I am, in general, something I'm realizing about myself is I always try to, like, talk myself into college players – but I love preps. I love the the potential. I love dreaming on them. I love that they're so young and they're so excited about playing and, um, you know, they're kids. And I think it really gets to like what is or college, college players I look at as professionals. High school players like think of themselves as professionals, but they're still just kids. And they're just that's why I love Jordan Walker. He's just so genuine and full of enthusiasm and you know it really helps you connect to why you love baseball yeah it it definitely for me would depend on you know what what the prep is like you know no offense john but pitchers tend to have uh, a little less personality than position players 
I think I think it's uh, starting pitchers. Relievers have the most I, personality I, out of anyone, but I think relievers. Yeah, I, I think we're also in a in a bummer like a low energy age for starting pitchers. Like I I'm you know I think of when I think of starting pitchers like thinking of Pedro and like. David Wells and Roger Clemens, like people, uh, you know, who had yeah. a lot of personality, you know, I mean, Randy Johnson, like, obviously those are just, you know, casually three <laughs> of the best pitchers of all time and a like, not quite Hall of Famer, but like very good pitcher. But like, so I, I have very fond, like, memories of, I mean, of incredibly personality filled pitchers but it's also I, I think especially in the game right now position players are where you get the most personality like chris sale cutting up jerseys <laughs> isn't exactly you it's know, a personality like, but like, like uh, not I a good guess this one <laughs> is a, it's a personality but it does not in, it does not make me more enthusiastic about you in fact <laughs> quite yeah i mean justin verlander has um, a personality yeah. it sucks but it's a personality <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Joe, I mean, I, I don't know that this would be plausible, but like, if they could get, oh, I'm 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 trying to go through because I I'm trying to think of like high school pitchers who might be available at that spot. If they got someone like uh like Dax Fulton, Dax Fulton, that would be interesting. Give me to Dax me, Fulton, that would um, be great, that especially because he's hard. <laughs> Sorry if I'm yelling. I got upset. <laughs> I've I've mocked Dax, Dax to Seattle before. Uh, I especially like Fulton because he's already had the teach, and yeah. there's something to be said about someone that's already gone through this. Can't be drafted and get the teach if you've and, already had the teach. Thinking guy meme. Yeah, don't say that. No, but yes. I think Dylan Overton. Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. No, I think if Seattle were to walk away from this draft with a, a good player at six and then draft a prep pitcher at forty three and that person blow out their elbow, I just it's this is too big of an opportunity right. for this season for two thousand seventeen to happen all over again. Yeah. So I would hate to see that. Yeah. I I think that's uh that's why I would like to see the um them go, you know, upside upside position player because you know, yeah. There's Dax Fulton. There's also like Carson Montgomery, who's probably going to be just fine. But like, that's not as that you know, it, it it. I mean, the tough thing also on high school pitchers. Sorry to to expand on this further, but like a lot, not a lot of the time, but plenty of the time, like they might add some strength and add like three to five miles per hour, like, and then oh well, now this is. A completely different, much more impressive pitcher, and that's great. But you have such a high up chance of mm, the opposite actually has occurred. Yeah. Uh, Jorge Benitez is a—he was ninety-one in high school, and he's eighty-eight now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, nothing's guaranteed. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested to see how this goes. Um, and you know, obviously, we're, we'll do as, as. We've teased a little bit here. We'll have, we'll have some, some draft. We'll have some mock draft. Draft We'll have some second round options. And we'll have another yeah. podcast that yeah. uh, leaves the past behind and looks into, after we publish yeah. the mock draft, that kind of goes through that and we explain things a little bit and yeah. and talk about um, mm -hmm. more specifically what we hope and dream on. 
I'm excited. <laughs> Colt. Keith. I have to go look up Colt. Colt Keith. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna All send right, you some please, literature. Please, please, Sub- I will subscribe. I'll subscribe. <laughs> send you the, the good newsletter. word of Colt Keith. Yeah, I just really I want somebody Thank to you. get excited about <laughs> who's like someone that we theoretically could get because and i will kick whichever one of you said there's a possibility what if zach veen jumps nick gonzalez and nick gonzalez is there we'll talk about that next week but i hate whichever one of you said that because <laughs> i've I been dreaming, stand out. dreaming on that all right thank you all thank you all for listening thank you joe and thank you kate uh we will be back with you guys next week with some uh mock draft uh sort of I promise to bring a name I'm very excited uh, very about much. who is a realistic pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we we've got you know for any of you I we you know we use we go we we try and lean on a variety of of services and and experts obviously for all of this. Um, so, so do, do expand your own, uh, horizons to make, you know, when, when we're talking about this, but we also put up a lot of draft profiles on, our on lookout landing. Um, it's actually tagged on the main site. You know, you can, you can, on the main homepage, you can hit 2020 MLB draft and just go to town through there. Um, we've got a whole bunch of stuff stretching back for nearly a year now. Uh, so, uh, Go go lose lose yourself for an hour or two in there, um, and come back download again next week. Uh, yeah, we'll talk to you then. Bye.